The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Human design is a system that offers profound insights into your inner self and how you interact with the world around you. Quantum human design takes that process one step further allowing you to become the architect of your own reality. Join Dr. Karen Curry for Elevating Your Life Script, a weekend workshop where you transform your life by crafting intentional narratives, May 24th through 26th at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. If you're a seeker like me, and I hope you are since you're listening to this podcast, that means you love to think about and learn about spiritual experiences and what they mean. You might resonate with the statement that you consider yourself spiritual but not religious. Maybe you were exposed to a religious tradition when you were younger and that doesn't seem to fit anymore, or the message seems to ring hollow now. I think God or Source understands that and asking questions is okay. I also think that a relationship to God or a higher power is available to all of us, and that spiritual experience is very personal. I talked to Dr. Jonathan Ellerby about that today. Whether you find God at the beach, in a church, temple, or mosque, or under a tree, you can open yourself up to a spiritual experience anytime and benefit from it. Thanks for listening today. I first met my guest today, Dr. Jonathan Ellerby, when I was at Hay House, and he wrote several books during my time there, including Return to the Sacred and Inspiration Deficit Disorder. He also did a radio show with me at Hay House Radio, and he was a guest on the air many times. And he also has a podcast available right now, the Jonathan Ellerby Podcast, and he shares his knowledge on all things spiritual and other topics as well to benefit all people and the planet. So I'm very excited to bring him here today to talk about his new book, The Seven Gateways of Spiritual Experience, Awakening to a Deeper Knowledge of Love, Life Balance, and God. And he brings his amazing wealth of knowledge to this book. So I'm going to give you a little bit of his cred. There's there's a lot, but he knows what he's talking about. Jonathan has worked as a spiritual teacher, ceremonial leader, integrative wellness expert and leadership consultant for more than 25 years. He has a doctoral degree in comparative religions. He's a seasoned spiritual teacher, interfaith minister, and holistic healer. And he brings all of that, all of that wealth of knowledge into this book today. So Jonathan, I'm so glad you could join me. And I mean, so I'm so excited to talk to you about spiritual experiences. I love this topic because I think it's something that we've all had happen in our lives and maybe we just don't know how to articulate it. And in this book, I'm spending some time reading this and, and I love it. I, I think the the topics and the, and the sparks that you bring up in this book are just amazing. And you help people to recognize common ways that they encounter the sacred, whether we like to call it God or the divine or non-ordinary consciousness. And you, you add all these words in the book um, and ways to encounter the spiritual world so we can understand when it's happening 
and embrace it as an opportunity for growth, healing, resilience. And what I think is so interesting is that people seem fearful about embracing these experiences that we do have and they shut them out rather than welcome them and learn from them. And in this book, you're really trying to change that. Is that right? Was that the catalyst to put this together? Well, you know, there's two questions there, right? (laughs) Which is, you know, what am I trying to achieve and how can I help people to overcome some of these limits? And was that the original intention? And I'll, I'll be honest enough with you and you and I have known each other long enough that I can give you more of an honest answer than perhaps I might feel quick to do elsewhere. It what my original intention was not so much about liberating people as it was about addressing what I felt was essential to the spiritual path. So if I could take a minute, I'd like to just talk about those two things. Sure. So the first piece was, I don't understand why so much of our, and I I don't mean this disrespectfully, but why so much of our talk regarding personal growth, spiritual growth, transforming lives, and so on, doesn't include explicit attention to aha moments, breakthrough moments, elevated awareness. A great example in a really practical way, for example, is if we look at the field of addiction. Now, a lot of people may not even know this, and it's crazy that they don't. When we look statistically, and and I'm talking about psychiatrists will stand behind this for the most part. When we look at what changes the lives of someone dealing with a difficult addiction that maybe they've faced a long time, in the vast majority of cases, it's not just education. It's not just abstaining from whatever the behavior is. In the vast majority of times, um, it's not even therapy. It is that the people who make the leap are people who've had a breakthrough experience. They've had a spiritual experience. And it could be any number of reasons why. And yes, all the things I listed play a role. They could be at a treatment center. They could hit rock bottom. Uh, you know, they could have their life threatened. There's all kinds of things that happen. But the pivotal point for so many of them is the sudden elevated awareness of their life. Suddenly they see their story more clearly. They see their opportunity more clearly. They see who and what they are more clearly. And that that moment is the turning point where they invest in the treatment. They make the life changes and they never forget that. Now I'm going to add that if we look at some of the most pervasive approaches to addiction in the world, they're just filled with spiritual language. I mean, AA is all higher power and surrender and forgiveness and so on. So what's my point? My point is that um, a lot of people are interested in philosophies and teachers and practices without really questioning what it is they're cultivating. And I believe what we're cultivating is spiritual experiences, whether it's on the yoga mat, in church, in a synagogue, in a sweat lodge, in an ayahuasca ceremony. And it's because those experiences lift us out of our current life, show us something different about the world and who we are. There's so much more that goes with it. You know the book has seven categories. But there's but these experiences 
transform people. And they, and I believe they transform our world. Now, here's the other piece. As much as that was my original intention, the more I got into writing about it and speaking about it, the more I realized that this isn't just a topic that's been accidentally overlooked because, you know, authors and teachers are interested in their practices and philosophies. I've come to realize that this is a cultural phenomenon and that slowly and steadily over the last 2,000 years through religion, politics, education, medicine, and so on, um, we have been moved away, redirected, and led to believe that these non-ordinary states are either aberrant or pathological or dangerous or demonic or, or, or just that they're insubstantial, that they don't even exist and they're not worthy of our attention. And in that light, I think even the most devoted spiritual seeker is influenced by an unconscious cultural conditioning that feels shame and judgment about some of the most beautiful and powerful things they've ever experienced. And that is really my, the emergent mission behind the book, which is heck yes, let's reintegrate the power of consciousness and elevated states into every aspect of our lives and our society, because that's where society has always leapt forward. The quantum leaps don't happen arithmetically by adding up you know, one historical experience and another historical experience and a new technology, the big leaps, whether it was Einstein or in music or in the printing press, they came because someone had a radical vision, left themselves somehow, left their time and space and saw something never seen before. Right. Oh, you explained that so perfectly. As I was reading the book, I was thinking of so many experiences that I've read about, things that I've experienced myself. But just to your point, like with addiction, I read Eric Clapton's autobiography, mm. horrible addict for years, years. Mm-hmm. And what finally brought him to his knees was a spiritual moment that you describe. He was not able to move forward in his sobriety until he got down on his knees and had a transcendent moment. And he wasn't even a religious person growing up or anything. This was something that came to him. And he was able to move forward. Steve Jobs cites, you know, spiritual experiences, although in his case may have been LSD involved in that. And and we can talk about that too as part of it, a part of the exploration. And then another one that really struck me as so beautiful was Christine McVie of Fleetwood Mac, who, who passed away recently. And I read in an interview with her that the song that is really associated with her is called Songbird. And, and I've seen people just cry as they hear this. And she says that as she woke up out of a dead sleep, walked to her piano and played that song from start to finish, lyrics, everything, and was just so, you know, something came over her and she said it never happened again in her career. That was the one song that had she had that experience. Like she was always kind of, kind of trying to chase that, that fix. And it never happened. And those experiences that, that are, I mean, I, I hear that song today and I still cry. Those are beautiful. And, and if we knew how to tap into it and to recognize it and, and use it, wow, you know, we would just open up so many doors as collectively as a group. 
Yes. And, you know, I mean, it's why I love talking to you because you always get it in, in the biggest way possible. And, and, and I think that is such a, an important thing we can share with listeners, which is, yes, spiritual experiences are, are fun to have. They're beautiful to have. They're interesting to have. Um, there's a kind of high that goes along with a lot of them, but there's so much more to it. It's not about weirdness and strangeness and, and a feather in the cap like we can tell people about some sound bath or healing ceremony we went to and all the, the lights and visions we had. I mean, there is that layer to it, but, but I think what you've just captured so beautifully is there's a deeper layer and this deeper layer not only suggests, but it convinces us when we have these experiences that there is not only more to who we are, but there's more to this world, that there is a consciousness, an energy that is communicating not only to us, but through us. And yes, it's, I mean, if you look at world religions, they're all, they all come out of spiritual experience. So whether it's Moses on the mountain or Jesus in the desert or, or Muhammad in the mountain or Guru Nanak, and his vision after drowning in the river and all these different things. I mean, there's, it's, it's all catapulted out of spiritual experience, but, but your reframing is essential because that's what's behind Apple computers and it's shaping the world. And that's what's behind some of the musicians that are shaping the world. And you know, it's also behind athletes and it's behind physicians and it's behind teachers, people who have a non-ordinary awareness of purpose or a non-ordinary awareness of connection or a non-ordinary awareness of capacity are typically people who achieve extraordinary things if they pay attention to it, if they right. listen to it, if they integrate it. And I'd say that's the piece that so many of us miss. If I could just go on one more moment, I think it's, it's, it sort of has two parts to it, which is one, we idealize these experiences and we think other people are having them. And two, when they do pop up, like you got that parking spot just when you needed it, or you were thinking about that friend and then they called you out of the blue or, you know, these little tiny things. Um, we have a moment of thinking, oh, that was nice or, oh, that was cool. But what I think we often fail to do is to stop and really notice, integrate, wait a second. What does it mean that I got that clue on that day? What does it mean that I felt that synchronicity um, at that time? And typically when we sit a little longer with moments of beauty, moments of coincidence, moments of mystery, and these are the more ordinary moments, we start to realize that, that, that there's, a, there's a beauty and a radiance to life that we often overlook as our stress narrows our field of vision. Yes, I so agree. And your your book landed with me at just the right time because I've I've always or, or I like to think I've always tried to be aware of those kind of experiences. I, I seek them out, you know, whether even when I was younger it would be like paranormal stuff or ghost stories, things like that. And then just lately for me, I've I think I've kind of been ignoring the magic, you know, ignoring that um force that's out there that's that's helping us that's driving us that's that surrounds us 
And so reading this, I just got all, got excited again. I'm like, oh, I'm going to start paying more attention to these. You know, I can really learn from these little taps, the these winks, and and feelings in your gut. You know, I mean, I'm working on a on a big project that that you're a part of. I'm trying to build a podcast network. Mm-hmm. How many times I've wanted to throw in the towel? You know, <laughs> like this is too hard. I can't do it. I can't do it. But no, you know, there's something I, I know I can and I want to and we're, we're all going to succeed and be happy. Yay. But <laughs> just just being able to tap back into that excitement and feel that magic again ha- has been wonderful, you know, going through this book and you, you break it down into seven categories and we're not going to like go through every, every one, one after the other, because I want people to experience this on their own as they read the, read the book, because I, it is very experiential. Like you give us mm-hmm. some exercises and things to do, but the categories that you divided it into, you kind of, if, if I understood, if I understand how you did this was, you know, from your background, all your, all your experiences with indigenous people, comparative religions, like you found the seven common themes of, of all of, you know, the, the world religions and kind of broke them down into these seven. Of, of how we can have these experiences. Yeah. So the idea was to, well, to answer the question, if I'm devoted to a spiritual path or if, if I'm on the, in the process of spiritual awakening, what, what might I experience along the way? And, and because spiritual experiences are so closely related to uh, the creativity of the mind and imagination, um, it almost seems like you can experience anything. It's unlimited and infinite. And there's a quality of that that is true. But actually, it's not. <laughs> actually, there seems to be a kind of uh, architecture, a geography, a superstructure to consciousness itself. Now, one might question, and I'm quite intrigued by this, do these seven types of experience reveal uh, not only aspects of who we are as individuals, psychologically and and, and in terms of soul and soul uh, composition, but do these seven levels of awareness or seven types of experience actually reflect something about the universe itself? And so just just to briefly touch on that and then kind of summarize and close with this question you just asked, you know, I, I've been listening, uh, I'm fascinated by uh, science, really, and uh, astrophysics and theoretical physics. And something interesting, and I don't know if you know about this, because I know you, of course, have been exposed to so much about quantum physics, but there's some phenomenal work that's occurring as uh, physicists are able to begin to look below the quantum level. And what they're realizing is that the quantum level itself is still just another layer that has something deeper beneath it. And this deeper layer, which is what um, high energy physicists study and theoretical physicists study, it is the dimension of reality that exists beyond time and space. And this is verifiable through mathematics, geometry, astrophysics, hard science. In fact, it turns out the majority of the universe exists at this level beyond time and space. Now, what is this? What does that have to do with the question you asked me? Well, if you go through the seven types, 
you'll find they they start from the more commonplace, meaning situations that are more frequent and they happen more often. And then they end up in two of the more unusual uh, formless spirit experience and pure consciousness experience. And yet, I don't think we're just describing the architecture of human psychology. I think we are revealing the metaphysical world. And more than that, I actually think we are, we have always been through human states of consciousness, revealing the true nature of our reality at all levels. And so to circle back to your question, it's my experience that if we gather all the different kinds of, of spiritual states and altered states and so on and so forth, since the beginning of recorded human history, yes, I think they all fall into these seven categories. It doesn't matter religion. It doesn't matter time in history. And it doesn't matter where in the world. You'll find these seven uh, types persist, persist, persist. And it has nothing to do with anything local or situational. You know what's so cool about what you're saying and making the connection with with science and, and uh, physics, quantum physics, and, and what's being learned you know, every day. And it reminds me of something that I read in the book that one of your teachers told you, and I can't remember the name of the certain certain teacher, but that we have always had this ability to, you know, experience this quote magic. We mm. we could fly, you know, or read into the future, and and that we had this ability to get into that layer, like you're talking about, and just maybe over time we've we've buried it, but they knew. Back then, I yeah. wish we could remember the name of the guy. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it seems. I mean, that could be. Well, we, I don't need to. Sort of it, yeah, it was. One, it was the... one of the indigenous. I think it was one of the Lakota. Yeah, uh, that could have uh, been. teachers. As you were going, you you were have a healing experience that you share in the book, and yeah. you share so many amazing experiences. But this was like physiological, like this physical thing happened. Yeah, yeah, you know, that was an actual physical healing through what sort of a modern skeptic would call nothing more than prayer and ceremony. And right. it was a radical physical healing of my, of the structure of my legs and feet. I mean, it, and, and it happened when I was about 19 and let's just say it's decades later and I've never had a recur, a, a recurrence of this problem again. But, but I want to go back to what you just pointed out. Cause I think there's something I love for people to hear or to contemplate, to consider, is that what has changed over these last 2,000 years, with all due respect, really, and appreciation for the advent of technology and medicine and science and all these amazing things. They are amazing things, no doubt. But what has slowly and steadily happened is we've moved into, you know, what I, you know, it's sort of not, not a word people like, but I would call a colonial consciousness a masculine consciousness, a hierarchical consciousness. And so little by little over these 2,000 years, we've become more narrow. We've become more material. We've become more skeptical of things outside the material realm and outside our ability to control them. And so we have systematically lost what 
you know, our ancestors, and I would argue all of our ancestors, knew and believed. And there was such a long period of time where we trivialized what they taught as just being ignorance or fantasy. And yet, we are circling back now to find that in many cases, what our ancient spiritual teachers and cultures knew was not just metaphorically true, which is sometimes the case, but in some cases, it's literally true. And and to me, that's profoundly exciting. It is. It's so exciting and, it, and it's so exciting to think about. And you share an interesting conversation you had with uh, a doctor who was very rooted in his beliefs yeah. that he was not going to accept uh, some of the things that, that you were discussing. And it made me think of an experience I had with Reiki. And I always thought, oh, Reiki is interesting and fun, but it's it's kind of, I don't know. And at the time I went to have this Reiki treatment, my my mother was going through colon cancer and I thought, okay, well, I'm going to learn what this is about. Maybe I can heal her, you know, thinking mm-hmm. I, I could do something about it. Well, I went into this Reiki session with this woman who is an amazing healer, very skeptical. I thought, this is crap. You know, the, she's not touching me. It's not going to work. And and to this day, whenever I share this story, like things were, I felt like blood moving in my ears, like boom, boom, boom. Mm-hmm. You know, something was moving around in my body that I could physically feel. It, it wasn't woo or crap, it, it was really happening. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wait a minute, okay. <laughs> it's like, and I felt kind of like the, like the doctor where at first I thought this is, you know, bullshit for lack of a better word, mm-hmm. um, was not, you know? And he, w- and he was very firmly rooted in his beliefs and then my, be- my beliefs that that was crap flew out the window from actually physically having that experience. Yes, and you know, I think one of the only ingredients or some of the only ingredients that people need to get where you are, where you've been, where you've gone beyond, is to take a book like this and just have an open mind and just say, maybe. And and that's, see, your story is such a great illustration because you may have thought, you know, this seems like a bunch of bullshit, but I'm going to try it. <laughs> but you tried it and you were willing and you were open. And okay, sometimes we try things and we're open and nothing happens. That's okay. That happens with with Western medicine too, right? That happens with all kinds of things. But this willingness is a part of the equation. And and that's, that's, I think, really important for people to hear, which, and and I I actually, I write about that in the story about the healing that happened for my, my, my feet and my legs which was, this was a healing in a, in a spirit calling ceremony in Western South Dakota. And I was still very new to these things at the time. And I remember that one of the healer's assistants came over to me just before it started. I was the only white guy in the room. I'd not been to anything like that before. I was feeling quite scared (laughs) and anxious about the whole thing. Um, because it was also very important to me. And I just remember he got very close to me And he very quietly said, look, I don't know what you believe. I don't even know why you're really here. It was a little bit apparent to me that he wasn't thrilled with this whole ceremony because it involved the community and it was like a four-day process. Here's this like, oh, white kid from Canada, like what's what's this all about? So, you know, he was just very firm and he just said, I don't know what you believe. I don't know who you are. 
But as long as you're in this ceremony, you must, you must believe absolutely that everything you see, feel, hear, or are told is real. And if you don't, people could get hurt. And then he got up and left. And then That's the light, scary. And then the lights went out. <laughs> I was just like, holy shit. <laughs> but, but, but the point is, he knew something really profound that took me years to understand, which is that belief is a mechanism. Willingness is a mechanism. And you can't be too deep in that doubting mind and invite the extraordinary in. There has to be a certain level of willingness and, and certainly your story. I mean, that's what you had. And as you illustrated with the story from the book, this was a geneticist at a hospital I worked at. I remember that story also very well. And, and, and he was skeptical of the alternative healing and energy healing and all these things we're talking about. And so we, we met and then we met again and I brought him a stack of articles and books and reference material. And, 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 you know, that's the story you remember. He, he pushed it away and very sheepishly said, look, I appreciate all the research you've done and that you've made this effort. And I guess I have to admit, I'm just unwilling to consider it. And, right. and what it, what it revealed in him was that his world wasn't based on evidence. His world, a rational material scientist was based on preference and fear. And the minute he admitted that, I was like, Okay, that's cool. You know, <laughs> we're that's not. where he was. That's, that, that's what I loved about that particular story because he he at least had the awareness of, all right, I'm not going to let go of my beliefs, that yes. and and I'm admitting that, and as long as you don't try to change it, we'll be okay. And you're like, okay, I'm not I'm not going to I'm not here to evangelize or force you to believe anything that you're not comfortable yes. with, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. but I thought I I thought that exchange was was really telling because, I mean, even just bringing it to the present of how so many people are attached to their beliefs yes. and will refuse to look at, at at others or be open and be aware. And, and that's why we need this information, this book, so much now. It's so relevant to what's going on now. Human Design is a system that offers profound insights into your inner self and how you interact with the world around you. Quantum Human Design takes that process one step further, allowing you to become the architect of your own reality. Join Dr. Karen Curry for Elevating Your Life Script, a weekend workshop where you transform your life by crafting intentional narratives, May 24th through 26th at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Yeah, and you know, I mean, maybe we're getting a little too deep on uh, <laughs> for people here. But so the, the interesting thing about belief is it's, it's a, it's a curious part of the formula, which is 
we have to be willing to set aside our attachments to what we think we know in order for these things to really amplify and be more frequent. We have to invigorate our belief in what's possible. But then ultimately, both the release of attachment and the willingness to consider become replaced with a deeper knowing. And that's actually one of the hallmarks of spiritual experience. And you'll find that in William James's classic book, The Variety of Religious Experience. The neurologist Andrew Newberg wrote a book, which coincidentally came out within a year of mine called The Variety of Spiritual Experiences. And what we've all said is the compelling feeling that what you see, feel, or know in these altered states is more real than what you experience in your daily life. Right. And to not turn your back on it. Now, I want to ask you about something else that came up because I think this is so fascinating and I hope you delve into this. I mean, maybe this could be another book, but we had another conversation not too long ago about about something else and you brought up this topic. So since we're talking about healing and something that you that you physically experienced, so you go a little bit into the book, you know, about the physiological component to spiritual experiences and the certain parts of the brain have been studied that activate or produce a certain feeling or experience. But the thing that interested me, which you said, was that people who identify as on the autistic spectrum or neurodivergent may be more tapped in to, to this part of the brain, yeah. right? I, yeah, and, I, yeah. and I'm like, wow, that is such a cool, you know, what a what, way to kind of flip things on it on its head, right? So I just, I wanted that. to see what you think about that because that really stuck with me. Well, I, okay, I have a really interesting answer to that question, but do you even remember where that was in the book? About about the autism? autism. Yeah. No, that wasn't in the book. What was in the book was about the physiological component oh, yes, yes. of okay, spirit. Sure, like sure. things are happening yes, physically, okay. you, and you can point to that to your physical healing, but then you brought in the this piece on people that are on the spectrum or what yes. we call neurodi- neurodivergent, and I thought, that's really interesting. Yeah, okay. So explore that a little bit. So check this out. <laughs> First of all, let's clarify for the listener the sort of chicken and egg question that we're exploring, which is one, we are able, and I just mentioned Andrew Newberg, he's one of the more well-known neurologists studying what's going on in the brain when spiritual experiences are happening. And there are a lot of really interesting things going on. We can track where certain kinds of experiences are essentially active in the brain. And and there are things that are wildly unexplainable, just quickly, because it's so interesting. Um, one of the interesting things is people who have spiritual experiences say it feels like they are encountering something outside themselves. Now, here's what's amazing about neurology. It would follow that you could then trace the, the imaginal pattern in the brain of someone imagining that something is coming in from the outside. But that's not what they trace. They actually show brain activity that matches what happens when something actually comes in from the outside. In other words, when we see a spirit walk into a room, the frontal lobes shut down in the same way when a real person walks in the room. So they are not proving, oh yeah, we're just making this shit up and we can poke this part of the brain and this part of the brain. It's, it's quite mysterious. So the question then becomes, 
does the brain create experience and that's what we're mapping or is the brain receiving the experience and that's what we're mapping and so it leads us to the question if it's the case that we're really seeing things out there energies beings so on and so forth maybe some people are better at this than others now i'm going to say this because i would like you and every listener to know that i have been in conversation with the yale center for the study of spirituality and mental health and they are ready and willing to do a study on neurodivergence and spiritual gifts we are looking for funding we are looking for an organization that will help make this happen but the point is that one of the leading academic institutions in the country feels the same way you do which is wait a second this is worth looking at and maybe we don't really know how it all works and maybe people who we see as uh, neurodivergent are just differently gifted and they may lack in some ways and i'm a member of this community i i check off a few boxes in the neurodivergent community um but it really helped me to, to to follow the same question that you posed which is well wait a second I have a very hard time filling out a tax form and good luck getting me to complete, you know, a form correctly to enter my son into football or something without spelling his name wrong or writing his birth year wrong. Um, but it doesn't take too much for me to close my eyes, take a few deep breaths and travel to another dimension. Right. right. <laughs> and maybe, maybe mm, you might say my soul and my brain are at work together. And there's something about this brain that serves my soul's purpose. That is so, and it's so exciting that Yale, an institution like that, is going to do this kind of study because I've always felt, you know, looking at people and someone that might be dismissed as, well, you know, that guy's crazy or he's talking to himself or whatever. And I always think maybe he is, you know, Right. Maybe he's just tweaked a certain way or that person is uh, developed in a certain way. You know, like you said, on one hand, their brain is is not computing this, this input of information. Like I'm horrible with numbers. I, I shudder to have to do any of that. But, you know, having some of these other experiences, I just think it's exciting, you know, that it's actually being looked at and maybe things that could be tapped into, you know, yes. people that do have these, these abilities that in the past maybe have called, be called an affliction or, you know, they'd be put into a hospital or studied or medicated or all, any of that. Yes. Well, there's a couple, a couple of things to point out there. And first of all, if anyone's listening and they're excited and they have a million dollars they want to give to Yale for this, <laughs> well, please them. <laughs> contact me and I'll, I'll, I'll help you sort it out. But, but, but the interesting thing that we're finding on this topic, and, and, and there are a lot of great psychiatrists that have come to see this as well, is that once upon a time, when we had a more spiritual and even religious worldview, there, there was, not always, but there was often a place for people with these differences. And so rather than being identified as having a mental illness, which yes, I think over the last thousand years, for sure that's what's happened to people, they would be seen as gifted. And the other thing that would typically happen is they would be protected and guided 
to understand how to work with their gifts. So I've been very, very close to some very powerful traditional healers, indigenous traditional healers in my life. And in most cases, they were people who at a very young age, even as young as toddlers, were separated from other kids and raised with more insulation, more exposure to old culture and tradition. And and my point being that if you are a highly sensitive, empathic, ultra-intuitive, clairvoyant psychic, and you grow up in a home with abuse or trauma or addiction and harshness, and no one tells you that what makes you different may make you gifted, you better believe you're probably going to end up on the street because I can at least say from my own experience as someone having some of these qualities, I mean, uh, there are some things that happen on an almost daily basis where I am so sensitive to it. It's like someone's put a garbage can over my head and they're just hitting it with a metal stick, you know, a, a pipe. And, and I, I regulate it and I've, I've learned to, you know, this has been my life is mastering this sort of consciousness, but good Lord, if I didn't know better, I'd, I'd probably be crippled by the, by the sensory overload. So I think there's a lot of people out there that, that might've been guided down shamanic paths or healing paths or, or clairvoyant or psychic paths. And instead they've ended up either mentally ill or they've ended up on the street um, essentially trying to medicate the discomfort that they can't understand. So uh, it's, it's a pretty profound topic that you've cracked open. Yeah. And I mean, that would probably take several other other shows, you know, maybe <laughs> another book. <laughs> maybe, maybe you have to book. write another book on this. I mean, what, what I got out of a, a lot of, of reading this is just to bring it to my, my experiences that I want to be able to have more of these. Yeah. I want to be able to recognize them. I'd like to be able to con control it more or to make them happen. Like, I think I've seen flashes of things, and that's why I've always been so intrigued by spirituality or even what would be considered paranormal things that you can't explain. Yes. Because I've seen kind of fla flashes of it, and I want to be able to explore it more. And that's what your book, I think, is giving people you know, the permission and yeah. also some guidelines and some exercises to be able to take those steps. And, yes. and we're not and even talking about, we haven't even got, gotten into like the, the eyes. <laughs> yeah. Like the, the other weird stuff, like, you know, psychedelic experiences or, you know, out of body and things like that. And I know you had said before, oh, I've been out of my body many times. Like, well, I want to do that. I've only even experienced that once. And I got scared, like I was, I got myself into a meditative state, but I was so young, like 17 or 18, just kind of exploring these topics. And I actually felt myself rise out of my body. And I just, I had a second of what is happening? And I yeah. automatically, I was back in and I've never been able to do it again. I'm like, I, now that I have more presence of mind, you know, or a psychedelic experience, like the, uh, the only other psychedelic experience I had, I think I was maybe 19. And, and it was fun, but I ended up sitting in a tree with a friend of mine for like eight hours. And we had these like in, incredible conversations and we're looking at the sky and everything. But I was just, I wasn't trying to have any kind of real spiritual awakening. I just thought it was something fun to do, you know? Right, right. So, so you brought up so many important things. So long ago and long ago, 
in the 60s. <laughs> back in the so, day. <laughs> back in the day. Well, not that long ago, but in the 1960s, you know, when they were studying LSD. Yeah, Ram and Yeah, all this stuff. I mean, that was when they sort of coined the phrase set and setting. Yes. So for people that have heard of that before or wonder what that's about, it's about the importance of your mindset going into the practice and the environment. So, yeah, lots of people, believe it or not, even on Sunday during the Super Bowl, I know for a fact, I know for a fact that millions of people had a spiritual experience that day, but but didn't understand it, didn't grow it in the moment. But it, it, because these moments of high elation, these moments of high excitement, you know, and imagine super elated, drinking too much, all these things, and especially... I know this is dating the interview and who knows when someone's going to hear this, especially if you're a Chiefs fan. I mean, imagine <laughs> this person being high as a kite uh, emotionally. Maybe they smoked something. Maybe they drank something. They go out on the lawn after the game and they lay on the grass, all the relief. And I'm telling you, there's a dude out there with a, a football jersey and nacho cheese all over his pants. And he had a brief glimpse of God. And we don't think that. We don't. Right. Now, now the problem, of course, is so many of these experiences are very intense. And as you shared, there's often a dissolving of the ego. So if we don't know that's supposed to happen, most of us instinctively and rightfully will just shut that down. Be like, I don't know what was happening, but I was losing myself. And I'll tell you, I mean, that was something that I really, I mean, I probably sound a little insane at this point but you know in my 20s it was something i was really working on which is how to stay open and present when i was beginning to feel terrified that i was losing touch with reality and and you know it takes time but you can get there and here's another element which is um there's also some parts of the book where we talk about mental health because in the end, what I've come to discern pretty clearly, and I think most psychologists and psychiatrists would agree, um, that that mental breakdown and illness is absolutely not the same as spiritual breakthrough. And at a superficial level, sometimes they may look and smell similarly, but really they're they're quite different because one is destabilizing. It's not just scary for a moment. It stays there. It leaves you feeling uh, lost at sea. Whereas the other, uh, meaning spiritual experience, you may go through a threshold of fear or some similar moments, but then typically it's grounding, it's meaningful, it's empowering, and it leaves you with a greater sense of stability. And that's not to, you know, um, you know, cast a negativity on mental illness or mental breakdown, it's just that that's a part of life and we shouldn't confuse the two. And yes, each can help inform the other. Right. There's so much exciting research going on in, in this realm. And I'm just wondering, I mean, I, I could like talk about this all day, but I'm sure yeah. you've got stuff, stuff that you're going to have to do later. And I really want, and I want people to think about spiritual experience as something that is accessible to them, that they can yes. have in their lives, that they can recognize whether they feel, you know, some people are like the, like the guy you described in the book about feeling 
you know, spiritual at a baseball game. That was his church. Right. You know, I, I have a friend that like we go to beach yoga and she calls it church because to her, when we're at beach yoga and it's just beautiful, you know, we see the ocean and it's awesome. And that's where she gets that fix. So I, th- I think making that available to everybody in, in the way that you're presenting it here is so cool. So I want people to explore this. I'm going to have links to the book in the show notes here of the podcast so that people can check it out and, and buy it and link over to Amazon and get it. And let's start having more spiritual experiences, more of this awareness in our lives. Yeah. You know, starting one by one, right? Well, yeah. And if I could just throw out a couple of things, because uh, I know we're, our, we're probably at our time. Two things, you know, to your point, I would welcome, I would encourage people, whether you get the book or not, uh, although the book is a helpful tool, take some risks and begin cultivating conversations with friends or loved ones or whatever, whoever you feel safe with. But to ask like, hey, who here's had an experience of? Or who's here had an experience that you can't explain? Or I heard this podcast with Diane Ray and Jonathan Ellerby, uh, whose new book is out now. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, 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 and you'd be surprised to find out how many people uh, can talk about this. Um, you know, I used to do this exercise, depending on the topic. If I had a large group of people at an event, I'd have everyone close their eyes. And then I'd ask a question, like, how many people have directly experienced something that you might call paranormal or someone immediately close to you, like a spouse or parent or, you know, brother or sister had an experience that was compelling. You'd be shocked how often it's more than half the room. How many people have had a moment of, you know, sudden transcendent connection with the universe, whether it was hiking, biking, having sex, smoking drugs, whatever. Oh my gosh, like 80% of the room goes up, but everyone's eyes have to be closed or no one puts their hand up. And then here's the other thing that I wanted to say that's really kind of fun. A lot of people listening here have heard of gratitude journals. Sure. You You do a spiritual experience journal. So every day before bed, you get your journal out and you ask yourself, what moments today could have been glimmering glimpses of a world beyond? And you think, oh my gosh, you know, there was that moment where I was feeling low and that, that person came up to me in the coffee shop and they, they just turned my day around. Maybe that was a spiritual experience. Oh, there was that coincidence. Oh, there was that, you know, I was, I was driving home from the gym the other day, uh, completely distracted by something. In fact, someone else was driving. I was on my phone. All of a sudden I thought, oh, I gotta get off my phone and just be present. Right. I'm supposed to be teaching this. This is not a, this is, this really happened. This is true. <laughs> I put, I put my phone down. I looked up into the field and there were eight bald eagles living what? in the field together. Yeah. Two juvenile, six adults and two more adults flying in. And I just had that moment like, you know, if we're not available to these things, if we're not paying attention, we miss them all the time. So you do this journal and not only does it help you see what might have been a meaningful moment in your day, it then shapes the way you go into the next day. And now you're looking for the synchronicity. You're looking for um, the moment of, of peace or mindfulness or present moment beauty or even something more. Uh, so cultivating awareness and and paying attention matters. I love that idea. I'm I'm going to start doing that because I keep a dream journal 
because I'm always trying to remember dreams. And I think this is even better because I can write down the spiritual experiences or you don't even have to call them that. Call them, you know, I don't know, whatever, if if the word spiritual might be weird. But like even yesterday, as I was reading this book, I was trying to kind of reframe my day. Well, what was the spiritual experience I might have had today? And I had this amazing conversation with an old friend I haven't talked to in like 30 years that I used to work with in radio. And we just had such a cool conversation of like back in the day and, you know, when we both worked at a radio station and he he's come so far, he's got like five kids now. And, st- and it was just so amazing to touch base with that person again. I just felt so good after the conversation. I thought, well, that was a spiritual experience because we, yeah. you know, we connected on, on just such a cool level. I'm like, we're transported back in time to this place where we were both in our 20s. And now I'm, I'm much older than that. <laughs> Yeah, uh, and it, it, I, to me, it was like a spiritual experience. So yeah, I love that the spiritual journal. Let's do it. Well, and 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 you know, again, with respect for time, I think that part of the problem is that when people hear the word spiritual, sometimes they just they layer on so many yes. assumptions and expectations. But if it's a powerfully meaningful experience, that's a spiritual experience. If it's an experience where there's a palpable energy that you can't quite explain, but you know is a part of the experience or it lifts you above or shows you something or invites you to a feeling of connection or love or wisdom, that's a spiritual experience. So it could be your shining moment journal or your energy and meaning journal. But as you say, it doesn't matter what you call it. Pay attention to the way these things are unfolding. And and I'll tell you, I have a client that did this recently. This is a funny story. So this, this, this guy, um, you know, a little skeptical about this stuff, but wanting to feel more somehow. And, uh, and, and interestingly, he, he, it totally work related. He had an opportunity, uh, to do something for himself in San Francisco. And it was like, well, it's kind of like a workshop and I'm not the guy that takes time for myself and I, I always work and I have my family and all these things. But, but maybe, you know, just real hard time justifying. And the next day at work with the kind of work that he does, um, there was an opportunity for his business to work with a new client in San Francisco. And he'd be required to make a site visit to San Francisco. So all of a sudden, within 24 hours, he had an excuse to go for business reasons to the very place where he secretly longed to go to do something to nourish his spirit. And so like, what is that? Coincidence? Right. Well, maybe. Maybe, maybe not. Statistically, <laughs> that's, pretty, that's pretty incredible. There's 365 days in the year, and there's a lot of cities in the country. So that's pretty remarkable. It is. I love that. You know, I want people to experience the book, experience you, um, you know, I want to mention your podcast again, the Dr. Jonathan Ellerby podcast, thank you, thank where you. you explore all kinds of amazing topics. And let me know what you what you think. I mean, I love to hear feedback. You know, if you liked what you heard today, please leave a review. And if you haven't downloaded the free MindBodySpirit.fm mobile app, make sure you do that in the app store. You can leave a message or comment for any of our podcasters on the open mic feature. And make sure you check out all the wonderful podcasters like Dr. Jonathan Ellerby that we have on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network. And 
Jonathan, is the book out now? Can people get it and order it and all of that? So if you're listening sort of like in real time, or Diane and I are recording this on Valentine's Day, yes. 2024, and it's technically on pre-order, but uh, or you know places like Barnes Noble, uh, Amazon, Simon and Schuster, uh, they're all shipping right now. So I actually just got my book. I just got my copy. Oh, you got the hard copy ready. To I got go. the hard copy, and it looked—I <laughs> have to say—it looked good. And uh, you know, I'm really, really just am honored that you wanted to do this and talk about it. And I know it's a book promotion, but I do feel it's something more. Right. I feel like what we're talking about is something that's that, that the book is just pardon the cliche or pun. It's it's just a gateway. Right. The book is just a gateway to something that I think we all I actually think we all need more. of. Um, we do. I don't mind promoting it. <laughs> no, you're just scratching the surface. The Seven Gateways of Spiritual Experience, Dr. Jonathan Ellerby. And thanks so much for spending time to, with me today. I really enjoyed our conversation. Me too, as I always do, and thank you for all that you do. Are you ready to ignite your best life and illuminate the world? I'm Stephanie James. I'm a motivational speaker, transformation coach, and psychotherapist. And what lights me up is helping people just like you create the greatest versions of themselves. On my podcast, Igniting the Spark, I will help you ignite your joy and reach new heights in your personal and professional life. Join me for some incredible conversations with authors, spiritual teachers, and other influential thought leaders to help guide you on your way. If you are ready to stop playing small, join me for Igniting the Spark on the mindbodyspirit.fm network or wherever you get your podcasts and ignite your best life.